0: Hi, we are Dorian Banks and I am Alex Potovic of Gen Zero's live action NFT series. We are here on the Edge of NFT, the podcast that brings you the livest action and all things NFT. Keep listening. Hey there, NFT curious listener.
1: Stay tuned for today's episode and find out how Gen Zeros is totally turning what it means to be a TV show on its head. What bringing joy and perseverance means to today's guests and why traditional and Web3 gaming are more similar than many people think. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. And remember, NFTLA is coming March 28th to the 31st. It will be an unforgettable experience featuring the creme de la creme in the NFT space. Head on over to nftla.live to get your tickets as early as possible for best pricing. And if you or someone you know wants to partner with us to co-create this special unforgettable experience, There are still opportunities to get involved, but they are going fast, so please reach out at contact at edgeofnft.com, and if you want the latest updates, make sure and visit edgeofnft.com slash discord to have some chats behind the scenes. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney,
2: and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts in the business side and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes
1: next. Today's episode features Dorian Banks, CEO of Looking Glass Labs, which owns House of Kiba, and Alex Ponovic, actor and executive producer on the Gen Zero series, which is being produced by House of Kiba talk about each of them. Dorian is a lifelong international entrepreneur which focuses on technology, blockchain, and agritech. Notably, he has built companies from the ground up in wireless technologies, mobile phone gaming, and apps, large-scale plantations, UAV technology, 3D printing, and cryptocurrency mining. He has served as a senior executive and or board member of more than a dozen publicly traded companies over the past two decades, arranging financings from some of the largest global banks. Alex Ponovic was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Has been an actor for over twenty years, and we checked your IMDb, Alex, with a lot of wonderful credits. And just, we'd love to start by giving you a chance to highlight some of the things you think are most relevant I here.
3: I can't compete with Dorian's intro. Are you kidding me? You cannot, dude. I <laughs> like mean, that was just dude, massive. I'm just like, shoot you on Marvel. People write words. I say words. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I've been acting for 20 years, and I also have a boxing, extensive boxing background. I have three generations of boxers in my family. And then I also played music for over 20 years and toured the country. And then fell in, was playing on stage one day, and a casting director asked if I wanted to audition for a role, and I did. And and I ended up falling in love with the craft, and I started late. I started in my mid-30s. And, you know, I'm going to acting class with, you know, kids that are 20 years younger, but I just really had the drive and I really wanted to tell stories. And, and most of the gigs started coming my way more because I'm a, I'm six foot five, like 260. So it was always, you know, the tough guy roles and I really wanted to branch out and that kind of stuff. And so I started try to make my own things and produce my own things where I can really show more than the, just the physical. and. And it kind of grew into a great, I feel like I've had a a very lucky and great career. And right now I'm currently on about to shoot season four of Snowpiercer. I finished five years of a show called Van Helsing. And we just finished part of the MCU, which we did Hawkeye on Disney Plus and Marvel. And now the thing that I'm extremely proud about is being a part of Gen Zero and the NFT aspect of creation. And I also am fortunate enough to be a part of a project that Rick Dugdale who's the president of Enderby Entertainment. And he and I, along with others, did the very first Hollywood scripted NFT film starring Anthony Hopkins. So we're really stoked about that. And we've gotten to the point where it did so well as a drop on an NFT that we're now doing the second and third one. So now we've made this project called Zero Contact into a franchise. And it's very exciting to be in the NFT market, even though I still have so much to learn about the nfts which is you know one of the reasons why i wanted to jump on here and get an education more than anything but knowing how nfts and entertainment especially live action television and film are this you know artist-driven community along with the consumer being a part of it more than ever than has ever happened before so that to me is a huge part of being a part of this and
1: and our next segment will feature us helping Alex set up his MetaMask wallet. We're going to get that taken together. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully we won't share a seed phrase, but yeah. <laughs> nice,
2: man. So we okay, got House of Kiba, We got Looking Glass Lab. Let's take a step back. Let's talk origin story. Like, where did the ideas come from? How did all this evolve?
0: Sure. It started with a couple of founders about a year ago. Jason Nagoyan is the main founder and younger guys that came out of the kind of 3D and movie special effects space. I think they probably did the first ever kind of allow list kind of pass. It's called the Genesis membership from a little over around a year ago, I guess now. And they sold for $500. We took PayPal for them, trying to onboard the NBA Top Shots people, right? Because they were buying with credit cards. So we thought that was a good way to get people into it. I think that they sold, they were trying to sell 3,000 and 809 sold. But they made the commitment they'd burn the rest. They did. And so there's 809 of these Genesis passes. And now they're selling for, I think, for between 15 and 22,000 US. Approximately, as there's only 809, and every month you get a drop off them. You either get put on some other allow list or you get another NFT drop in your wallet. So, for instance, in January, you got on the allow list for Hate Beast, right? So, if you sold pre reveal, you know, you got $30,000 airdropped on you for just for holding our Genesis membership. So, they've been quite popular. Went through the summer, they kept building, then they started looking for, I guess, some more like C level business guys. I was dug up along with a couple other people, and we came on board and started organizing as a company. And then uh, looking towards maybe going on the stock exchange, because in Canada, that's a very common way to raise venture capital. And by the fall, we did our Gen Zeros, dropped 10,000 000 of those, raised about, I guess, in U.S. dollars, maybe 5.5 million U.S. in about 40 minutes. It was very popular. And then we started you know developing a backstory behind the Gen Zeros and whatnot. And uh, and it's this is where it's evolved to, this Gen Zeros live-action TV series. We did take the company public, Looking Glass Labs. That's the parent company of House of Kiba. It trades on kind of the primary tech exchange in Canada called the Neo. And that's so that if we want to do mergers and acquisitions down the road, we've built up a a legacy there and we can go and raise money rapidly if we want to say buy a movie studio or buy a 3D effects house, right? Or something like that. Because it's really a land grab right now in the 3D world, which is where House of Kiba works, all fully... Metaverse ready, 3D rendered, ready, built-in Unreal Engine four, two, I think, Unreal Engine five ready. So super high res stuff. And all of our production is always that stuff. Even when we do gutter ket, gang or board API club, we do contract work. It's all Unreal Engine based.
4: So a little bit, bit of, a of an asequitur, but what about holograms? Where do they fit into the mix?
0: Well, they're not, they're not yet. We have been talking about augmented reality though quite a bit where we can hold up the phone and look at your screen and you'll see your Gen Zero in 3D on the table or on the ground or whatever. We've been working on that.
4: Very cool. Well, I mean, you know, it's really an endless supply of potential NFT projects in this space and so many exciting possibilities. How do you navigate the process of choosing what to do next in this space?
0: Yeah, good question. You know, I always say that one day in the NFT space right now is like 30 days in real business. So the stuff just keeps flying at us. I said this morning on an investor call that we don't even have a biz dev person working for us because the stuff just keeps flying in. And when I'm saying the stuff, I'm talking about third party requests for work. So like we're building like the gutter mansion, right? For gutter cat gang. Stuff like that, it comes inbound to us. They say, hey, we'd love you guys to build this for us, but now we've got too much of that. So now we get, it's great. We get to pick the A-level stuff or the stuff our guys are really excited about. The stuff that we know isn't gonna take too many cycles or or is gonna burn our crew out, overload us. So now we choose and pick for the third party work. For our own work, we're focused on the Gen Zero series and the NFTs around that. Each of the actors will have an NFT based around them and their half robot look. Those will come out in along with each drop of the show, of the 10 chapters. So our guys are working hard on that. And then we are working towards our land sale coming up. So that's a big thing. And that is a very different type of land sale than you've seen to date. It's not this traditional top-down map kind of thing. Very unique aspect to it, which I think is really going to surprise a lot of people. And then after that, we've got our token coming out. And that's for our Metaverse and plus our play-to-earn game. Our play-to-earn game will come out probably next month. And it's a kind of a Gen Zero battle game where you battle somebody else out there in the world. With their gen zero and you get points and then eventually you can enter tournaments and earn tokens by entering entering and winning those
4: and on the land side there's a lot of other land projects out there i'm sure you've looked at them and you're thinking about how you can differentiate could you talk a little bit about that briefly
0: yeah i don't want to drop too much because it is like i said extremely unique but one thing i will say is one thing we really focused heavily on was i want to say privacy but we want each person that has owns their land to be able to control it. We don't want it to be full of trolls and people doing crazy stuff. We almost want there, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, I almost want there to be an allow list for your land. And so you're going to have a lot more control over it. Facebook's tried to solve this kind of troll issue by, I think they put a two meter boundary around your avatar or something, right? So you can't get groped. I think that was the story I read. And we're trying to solve it in a different way where you can do an almost allow list for your space you can say which wallet addresses are allowed to come and visit there or you can it wide open if you want yeah you
1: want to grope you yeah i think it's very
0: much chosen groping yeah (laughs) and then that's the kind of b2c land so us being the business see the consumer the the individual Buying their four acres or whatever it's going to be, right? Then we'll have a B2B land sale after that. And that will be if someone wants to, you know, Tesla wants to throw up a skyscraper in a racetrack. And that's going to be a bit more interesting because I do believe that we're going to see influx of real world developers come onto that land, that RB2C land. And that's because they are probably going to be able to develop it in different segments and then sell. Segments of that B2C land. And, and now, you know, I'm probably giving away a bit too much, but it's pretty unique.
1: Very cool. Well, thank you for giving away a bit too much. Appreciate <laughs> that. We'll get more out of you. <laughs> but let's put some pressure on Alex. It's not too tough a question, though. But, you know, what got you pumped about doing projects in this space? What flipped the switch for you?
3: It's always about relationships for me and who the people are that are approaching me. You know, being in this industry, you get approached to do different types of projects and different types of favors for projects. But, you know, especially talking with Neil and Rick, again, Rick Dugdale, I can't say enough about, but Neil Stevenson Moore is the man that is the one that kind of got me on the project to executive produce and and get the team together to build what we've built with uh, Gen Zeros. And the idea, what made it so interesting to me, what really attracted me to it, I feel like I build my brand in more of an aspect of the audience and community. I love being on Twitter. I love talking to them. I'm not a big cameo guy because I just love sending you know videos to fans that are asking for a birthday wish here and there. I just love connecting in that way. And even on set, I feel like that to me is keeping the levels up high and enjoying the work that we're doing. And I feel like when you enjoy the work that you're doing, the creativity opens up that much more. So with the NFT space, the idea that it's artist driven and we can kind of control the product we want to put out there with the consumer's help and guiding us in those ways and having them being a part of it. I do a lot of sci-fi film and television and and they're the most devoted fan base in the entertainment industry and so you know that's why stuff like comic-con is are such huge hits because they're such passionate fans and to for us to be doing a sci-fi show in the nft platform and as opposed to you know in the comic-cons now people get really excited to go dress up as their favorite character star wars character then they meet someone and that's the basically the boundary of the fan and the artist. And I think in this space, it's you know, we're doing this together. We're a community, we're a team, we're trying to build something, we're getting feedback on it, and we were able to give it back in tenfold in so many different branches of the tree to the to the consumer, to the fan, to the fractional ownership of it. And that drives me, that makes that really fun for us because. A lot of series work is done through a corporate office and, and people that haven't really been on the ground floor. So there's been so many times I've seen pilots or have read pilots and watched pilots, been a part of pilots that you're sitting there going, this this is going to go. How can this not go? This is such an amazing show. And then for some reason in the head top of the office where you know jobs get switched and they kind of drop the projects and bring in their own projects. An amazing show can just literally get lost in the ether like that. And with this aspect of it, we have control of how far we want to take a show, how deep we want to take a show. And that is all to the credit of the audience and the community helping us make those decisions.
1: Just happened to be watching a documentary last night a little bit about Arrested Development. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that show, but was kind of one one of those shows which holds its very interesting place among, you know, kind of the sort of corporate structure or sort of, you know, rating structure around shows and how that all gets developed. And one of the things they're highlighting in the documentary was just the intensity of the people who were watching were just diehard fans. And also the people that were creating it were just so passionate about, you know, what they were creating. So it's interesting to think about what they might do in the NFT space. I wonder if they're cooking something up. We'll have to get some intel.
0: Right, right, I could add on a bit to what Alex said, if that's okay. Go uh, for it. Specifically referencing a Guardian article that came out about our series, Gen Zero series, after Deadline broke the original announcement of uh, the series coming up.
3: That was such an interesting thing because Deadline is a very hard publication to get into because it's only specific Hollywood announcements that happen, not just everything. And it literally, when we did two Deadline articles, which alone is a hard thing to get because so many productions want to get in there. But both articles went viral, not because of who was a part of it, more or less, but it was a part of the NFT platform with the sci-fi live action community. I think we were in the Uganda Tribune. You know, we were all over. There was over 200 publications picked up both those deadline articles and it went viral, which just goes to show you that the world is ready for something very cool to happen in this space with sci-fi in live action. Yeah. You know, the
0: deadline thing was interesting, especially going viral. So the Guardian newspaper in the UK picked it up and they wrote their own version of it in the first paragraph. I believe they say something, I'm paraphrasing here, like this might be the most important TV series ever made Mm. or the most important digital series ever made, something like that. And the reason is because we're really, at the end of the day, we're trying to democratize entertainment. We're trying to, you know, get rid of the black box of finance of a movie or of a TV series that no one knows what's going on except the highest level executives And you wonder where the cash is going, why there's no profit or what's happened to it. This is on the blockchain. We're selling NFTs to finance these kind of pre-pilots instead of us showing up in Hollywood with a script in hand and some ideas, maybe a whiteboard saying, this is what we want to build. Will you give us money? We're actually showing up with essentially pre-pilots already filmed, professional actors, professional directors, and writers that have worked on a lot of major projects, a lot of name projects. And we're going to say, hey, this is our series so far. How are you guys liking it? Would you be interested in in licensing it from us or buying an office?
3: And the cool thing about that is, like you said, you go in and pitch a show. You could have your pitch deck and you could have the guy pitching the show telling you how, how you got five seasons all planned out. And then you literally have the boardroom making the decision going, I think that's a pretty good idea. Let's roll the dice and go with it. But now what we're being able to do is show them the content, not only showing them content and giving them the five year plan of it, but we're showing them the content, the five year plan and the community that has backed it up and has put their ownership on it and wanting to be a part of it, almost like how deep Game of Thrones got with so many people wanting not only to follow the series and can't wait for it, but how even the cosplay happened. We're being able to walk into a boardroom now and go, not only are we at this point and these are the actors that are a part of it, as opposed to headshots saying that we could get these guys, but the community that has pushed it because they believed in it also. I think those type of ideas is we're like this is new Hollywood now. Old Hollywood has developed scripts and how they did it for years and decades. And now we're literally on that brink, just the way the web media started happening where no one ever thought they would watch a TV show on, a, on the internet. What does that mean? And now where all these things are streaming and now they're even making like theaters as you know a Netflix theater. know that kind of idea and we're literally on that brink that where everyone is super confident that the nft world is is not going to go anywhere and it's just and again man i gotta say what i love about it is again it's artist driven but just not for the actors for instance you know when we were shooting this weekend our wardrobe department our costume designer made these amazing costumes and they showed us and they drew it out and showed us what it was. Our set designer drew the sets out. Now those itself can become NFTs to benefit the artist as in the costume designer and the set designer. That to me is so empowering and so giving that now these creative people don't just get to see them up there and the actor get the accolades. They get to make some money and have fans of costumes and fans of art and production design. Be a part of it. There was a weapon on set yesterday, fabricated weapon was
0: part of the one show. And we looked at it and I went, wow, that is amazing looking, you know. And we talked about how it was made. And then we talked about potentially selling the 3D print model, a 3D printing model as an NFT. If you're a cosplayer and you want to print that weapon out, right? And take it to Comic Con with you, whatever. We also talked about actually, you know, selling NFTs for the actual physical item as well. So it just goes on and on and on. But the crazy part about it is, is what we're doing here is we're pre-financing these pre-pilots or these these short pilots, right? It sounds like an insane proposition for a full-length movie, but it really isn't. If you go and turn this into a full-length movie, we've already got the House of Kiba audience. We've already got them here. Plus, we've got all of those actors, fans, the big fan base, 2 million social media on this account, 3 million on this one. We've got their Comic-Con audience that are fanatic. And they're all going to come along for the ride. And that's really how we're able to do this on in such a, what would you would initially look like very low budget, but we're able to pre-finance it, which is is quite a twist.
3: And just so you guys know, the idea of the live action is the way we're going about it, which makes it so creative and fun for me is everyone has a certain experience with live action. Like you can cue a piece of music to cue an emotion for you. Like people are generally in that little box when they're watching live action of a film that there's an emotionality that they're trying to draw out of you, or there's a, a frustration that they're trying to draw out of you. It's done perfectly in live action and film and television. But the second component in this is the new media is that we're having a comic book. So one scene flows right into probably an 8-page, 12-panel Comic book where we got have this amazing illustrator Ben doing. And what I love about that is that again, you're watching live action and everyone's kind of watching it the same way. But when you read the comic book, when it literally flows into the pages of the comic book, you yourself are reading it the way you want to read it. The other viewer or the other readers reading it the way they want to read it, that slower pace, higher pace, looking at the detail of the comic book. Now that you are so enthralled in these pages of live action, you just saw the cadence of how I think he's speaking in this. And then you go seamlessly into the next live action scene, and now you're viewing it that way. So I love the idea that the audience gets to experience it for their own enjoyment of how they like to consume art in that way. And I think that's fantastic. And again, it's just the creative team here has been nothing but amazing. Matt Venables and Jeremy Smith, who are the showrunners and the writers of the show really created a fantastic product. And it's really been exciting this whole weekend. I think I'm on like four hours sleep, but I'm still jazzed all about it. So it's, it's great.
2: That's obvious, man. That's really cool. And so guys, what else, or is there anything else to tell us to share with our listeners about Gen Zeros that you haven't already? And also the utility NFT concept and how that applies beyond Gen Zeros. Like how else do you see that
0: impacting the world? I started using the term UNFT probably about a year and a half ago. And that's when I started calling it. I think I even applied for a trademark for it at one point, but I said you NFTs, and that's going to be the future. Obviously, we we all know that you can no longer come out. You can still try to come out with these you know big projects that don't have utility, but it's a, it's very difficult unless you're a named artist or you're already a successful artist. In my opinion, so you're going to have some other utility. You're going to have these you know like a Diplo VIP pass type of thing, you know, for his gold level you know <laughs> NFTs. So you get one stage with them or whatever it is. Of course, Ticketmaster will fully turn into NFTs. They probably won't call them that, but you know that's what it'll essentially be. You'll have this black and white ticket to go see the Lakers. And when you QR code gets scanned at the door, hits the blockchain, maybe that turns into a full color ticket now with an animation you know, of a dunk or something like that, almost NBA top shot-ish. That's the, type of stuff, that's the innovation you're gonna see. I think there's still a massive area around luxury goods or goods that are scarce. Good example, it might be a pair of Supreme sneakers. So if you think about a pair of Supreme sneakers, let's say they put out ten thousand or five thousand pairs, whatever you know, and they come out at five hundred bucks, you know, there's this mad scramble. Everyone's waiting in line for two days. However they do it, right? So Supreme sells that sneaker for five hundred bucks. That person takes it, throws it on eBay for what five thousand, right? We've seen it. It everything. It doesn't have to be Supreme. Could be anything, any scarce or luxury good. And so Supreme saw that five hundred dollars times five thousand units, right? they didn't see that lift between the 500 and the 5000 clearly the scalper of the sneaker the reseller of the sneakers saw. It. So imagine instead they sell that as an nft, right? So now there's this $500 nft out there. Well, that person grabs it, they sell it for, you know, $1000 or $2000. Well, so on the contract, clearly on the blockchain contract, you've got a 20% royalty maybe on there. Or 10% royalty. So let's say it is a 20% royalty they throw on there and they sell for a thousand dollars. Well, now there's two hundred dollars more back to Supreme. So now they were getting seven hundred dollars for those sneakers. Now that NFT sells again for three thousand dollars. Now they're getting another six hundred bucks, right? So now they've got, you know, maybe thirteen, fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars for that pair of sneakers instead of that five hundred. So I think there's gonna be a massive opportunity in there. I think it's gonna flow into all luxury gets Louis Vuitton and if you're going to see Birkin banks coming out this way. And it's because those people can go and claim a bit of that resale money. It's not just going to go to those flippers out there. And I think you will even see it as vehicles come out like a new EV from Tesla. And the first five are being sold by NFT. Right. I think we're really going to see a massive movement in that market first, because it's a really it's low hanging fruit in my opinion.
4: Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. And that's why we're pumped about the industry. And,
3: and I think for Jen, zeros there's so many utilities that we can have with it that even with cosplayers coming in and again i'm learning this nft world slowly but surely but i again love the aspect because there's we basically have a scene in one of the pieces where a digital thing is put up against an actor's head so we can see a message almost like seeing a video message but he sees it just with this kind of like a scientific kind of like a reader So he sees this thing, but in the film, you'll know what the message is because the way the actor's playing it, it's not a good message that he's listening to. But as an NFT, people can actually see the message that he's seeing and will drop. And that to me, that's kind of really exciting, all these tiny little moments where... You can watch the thing seamlessly without buying any NFTs, any utilities of it. But if you really want to get immersed by it, there's these little things that we have that will go. I really want to see the message that he just say, well, what did this actor, you know, this character say to him? And that would be, become an NFT. And again, it's one of those things that gets them totally immersed. And as every fan, again, being a part of Marvel, who has this amazing fan base, they always want a piece of something that's special. And it makes them excited that they have that. Even with Snowpiercer and Van Helsing, I've just been fortunate enough to have some amazing fans, but they always are looking for something very special and something that they can own. And we're literally giving it to them and they're getting so much more from it. And that, again, in this space, for me, it just makes it so exciting because it's so generous to the community and it's generous, obviously, to the artists because we get to make the stuff that we want to make. I will touch on one other kind of bit of alpha besides
0: what Alex has hit on there. And that is that we are exploring the possibility, well, more than exploring, I would say, of having a sort of DAO-style concept, if not a full-blown DAO. And that would be a way of fans to help decide story evolution or character evolution. So you know, in the simplest form, maybe a choose-your-own-adventure, you know, where like the fans guide the story, guide what they want to happen. And that would be through a voting mechanism, through a, a DAO concept for Gen Zero's holders. It's in early, early days. It's also going, you know, to our legal counsel to make sure we're going to do it properly. So it's a, it can be a rough road. Those and, and it's
3: great because you know I, I got introduced to Dorian from Neil and Neil, who really brought us on. And Neil's the one that really had the vision of going like, we can go live action. Let's see if I can talk. And Neil and I have known each other for like 15 years and we've always been friends, but we never got a chance to work together because he was on a totally different kind of road than I was. And then we finally get to meet and he has these amazing ideas. He's, He's one of the best sellers of a product that you can really, you can really talk to of the guy because he just knows his work so well, bright, bright guy and introducing, you know, Dorian to me and and really getting to understand slowly through this actor head, the NFT background. And it's really, really exciting.
4: That's awesome, man. And yeah, you're in good company. You know, when I had to slot Dorian, when we were thinking about the right panel for Dorian for NFTLA, it's difficult because you're all over the place. You're doing a little of everything. So we had to stick you on the Web3 convergence panel because it's all encompassing. So we like to ask this question, but, you know, I think in a lot of ways you are sort of pioneering this game, but what are some of the other NFT projects that you look for in the space for inspiration? Maybe some of the projects that you admire that are also doing really cool things in the space. And I will give a little shout out to our friend, Neil Strauss, who also is doing some really cool stuff when it comes to sort of decentralizing publishing and and sort of working um, as the sort of writer for Jenkins the ballet, and then some of his own work that he's now sort of put up to the community to vote on where things go from there as another example of what's possible here.
0: Yeah, very cool. Very cool. So, you know, you guys know a lot of the major projects like I do, but there are some, you know, under the radar ones. I don't want to say we're here in Vancouver and Vancouver is a a hotbed of Web3, as you guys know. You know, having Manifold only like two blocks away from us here. you know, Shout out to Richard over there. They're producing just some of the best contracts ever. I mean, the way that they handle packs, drops, that's just like art. Literally, their contract is art. And I'm always blown away seeing his work, or Manifold's work. And I love that they're sticking to their guns of only working with artists. They don't want to work for B2B stuff. And I, I think that's great. One under the radar one here in Vancouver as well is Monster Cat, Monster Cat Records. They have their relics which are essentially EDM songs that plug into their NFT jukebox. So you can own the jukebox, have it in your Metaverse sitting there in your house, and you can buy the Relic, which is actually a track or an album, and you plug them into the jukebox, and now you can listen to your music there. And I really think that music is an you know, under-the-radar possibility here in the NFT world. I spoke with some entertainment lawyers recently, and a very seasoned one said to me, he goes, Dorian, you know the craziest thing about the music industry? And the contracts with their artists is i've never in my he's never in his life seen one contract that contemplates the artist's music being sold in the metaverse and he believes it's wide open he he believes that an artist can enter a web3 metaverse and sell their own music directly to fans themselves and it doesn't affect their real-world contract. That's what he actually believes. And he's a big-time entertainment lawyer.
4: Well, you know, it's it's funny. I'd love to speak with him because I did moderate a panel at one point about this topic quite a while ago. I would have to say that the opposite of consensus was among the lawyers on that, oh, in that yeah, yeah. panel. Because, you know, this is uncharted waters. Uncharted, and I yeah. think that is a very exciting possibility for artists and, yeah. and sort of, you know... It probably. Uh, it, it,
0: it probably needs a legal test, really, then everyone will know. But I do like Monster Cat what they're doing with this jukebox concept and selling these these tracks via Relics as NFTs. I think that's very cool. That's all. I won't show it to anybody else. That's it.
4: No, no, it's appreciated. Thanks for putting those out. And you know, we were just talking to someone that's doing a TEDx in Vancouver and wants to do some more NFT content. So I was going to plug them in with you, of course, and. Maybe we'll have to get over to Vancouver after NFT LA and hang out. That sounds it's good. It's beautiful over there. And uh, clearly Absolutely. some big innovations going down in the NFT space as well. So a great so way many, to...
0: So many people here, yeah.
4: Yeah, yeah. A great way to end this segment, I think, guys.
1: We interrupt the Edge of NFT podcast to reveal one of the best kept secrets in the NFT space right now, the Koi Network. If you're a creator or a builder or an investor in groundbreaking projects, you need to dive into Koi ASAP. Why? Imagine a new internet where each time your posts get viewed on TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter, you earn rewards. Koi's revolutionary decentralized infrastructure scales this new internet to the whole globe, transforming attention into an asset and every creator into an earner, all without the expensive high-energy usage of old-school blockchains. Here is the best way to learn more and earn more by becoming a founding member of the growing koi community. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Koi. That's edgeofnft.com slash K-O-I-I, two eyes. There you can publish your first Koi NFTs for free and start earning Koi today. The new internet is coming. Don't you want to be valued on it?
2: Totally agreed, guys. So... Appreciate all the information. And for our listeners, we always like to take a step back and take a a different approach to asking some questions that we call edge quick hitters. It's a fun, quick way to get to know you a little bit better. It's 10 questions. And, you know, we're looking for short, single word or few word responses, but we may go a little deeper here or there. You guys ready to dive in on this?
0: Let's do it. A little bit worried, but okay. (laughs) Okay.
2: No worries at all. All right. Question number one, Dorian, for you. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life?
0: Oh, I mean, really remember outside of candy as a child, which I don't really remember. Yeah. So I wasn't allowed to buy it. I would say probably an LP and that would most likely be super tramp breakfast in America. Oh, wow. Yeah. If not, it would have been Genesis. Oh, there you go. One or the other. We're almost the same age. So he knows what I'm saying.
2: All right. Alex, good luck topping that, man. Question to you. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life?
3: Oh, I totally remember this one. I was like five years old. Two doors down from me was a building that made, I grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and where it's very cold in the state football stadium outside there, Canadian Football League. And it was hard seats. But what this company, two doors next door to me, would make these like foam frisbees with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers logo on it. And I just thought that was just so cool, because not only can, as a five-year-old can you throw a frisbee. And hit your buddy in the head and not hurt and Mm -hmm. not get in trouble. But that was the very first thing that I bought. And they were giving them away at the stadium, but I wanted to buy them. And I gave him five cents and he accepted my five cents. I got the little seat, little bum warmer. And I thought it was the best thing ever. That's great. Yeah, that was the first thing I got. Solid one.
2: All right. Question number two, Dorian. What is the first thing you remember
0: ever selling in your life? Ever selling? Mm -hmm. It's probably something that was stolen by one of my friends. I'm going to say it, <laughs> probably a swatch. A swatch. All right. Yeah, I, I had these friends that they would go and I assume they'd run into like, you know, the department store and take the rack or something because they had so many swatches. And I think that maybe uh, I knew somebody that wanted one. Yeah, like, that's how you got in the swatch game. Got, got it. Things. All right. A little <laughs> swatch dealer.
3: Nice. Alex, how about you? Man, I'm a North End Winnipeg kid, grew up in in the rough part of town and the only thing we had were like we played those little marble games yeah I actually had you get in like a mesh bag all called Crocs which were big ones and then the little marbles and I sold that for like a couple bucks to a buddy of mine only because I had took stolen another bag that (laughs) I had so I basically sold him something that I already had He didn't think I did, but that was the first thing I remember selling. And I think I remember it so well is because I knew I did something bad because I was selling him something that was basically stolen. Here's us, the two thieves over here. (laughs) Nice guys. Nice. He's
0: showing up soon. Yeah.
3: All right. Question three. I was five. The cops aren't going to (laughs) come. I was five. I was probably 14
0: or 15, I think. Start them young up there.
2: Start them young. Question three. What is the most recent
0: thing you purchased, Dorian? Uh, well, it's probably quite mundane. It's going to be dog food, I guess, but yeah. for my hunting dog. Uh, nice. It's, it's oddly expensive, though, but yeah.
1: Yeah. You make the right. hunting dog hunt for his own food, though, right?
0: Yeah, it
1: should. <laughs> it, should. <laughs> it could. Alex, how about you? These pads,
0: man.
2: <laughs> nice. <laughs>
3: Honestly, nice. I just got these pads from Wardrobe that when we were shooting this weekend, because I like them and I bought them back so they didn't have to return them. Hey,
2: Nice. Good pull. <laughs> Question number four. Dorian, what
0: is the most recent thing you sold? A Damien Hurst NFT.
1: Hmm.
0: That's yeah, a cool the, one. The currency, the currency. Remember that one with all the dots, the colored dots?
1: Yeah. Stacks, stacks
0: did those. You know, I was a bit sad selling it, actually. It's like I was
3: thinking about getting the physical. So, hmm. Alex, how about you? Man, like I said, I'm not in the NFT world as deep as you guys yet. For anything, selling. man, anything. I, I know, but I, that would have been an easy one if I had my wallet happening. <laughs> right. But right. And I just remembered the last thing I actually sold was my bass guitar. It was Ooh. a Fender Precision to a buddy of mine who was recording. And he loved the sound of it, the, the way that it hit the pickups. And I just decided to buy another bass. And then I sold him this bass. And then I regretted it because I had it for like 15 years. And I just missed that sound. And so, for Ryan Dahl, if you're out there, I want my bass back. God, got a lot, of got
1: a lot of seller's remorse here going. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All
2: right, question five, guys. Dorian, what is your most prized possession?
0: Oh, my most prized possession. I'm not sure I actually have one. Uh, I mean, it's probably my dog. I'm uh, single, so you know I have just him with me all the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, uh, He's probably the most important thing I have.
2: Right on. Alex, I know what it isn't. It's not that bass guitar because you don't have it anymore. Oh, no, uh... you prick. <laughs> oh, yeah. You
3: just had to throw that in there. You <laughs> little... <laughs> what, do you, what do you got, brother? What's your most prized position? Honestly, it's an image. It's a picture. Mm. And because I come from a boxing background and Muhammad Ali, like everyone else's, You know, they're their hero. And I had the opportunity to. I always had this thing where I never wanted to meet him. Like I never wanted to meet him, like him coming into an airport and everyone was around and then I just see him. I just never wanted that. If I was ever going to meet him, I wanted it to be special or else I just didn't want to meet him. I was that much of a Muhammad Ali fan. I could go on forever about Ali. But I had an opportunity where there was a film called Raising Ali. Being Ali. And it was made by a Vancouver director and they had a party for him here. And it was a charity dinner party. And I was training. At that time, I wasn't really working much as an actor. So I was a boxing trainer. And the girl that I was training, she was an event coordinator. And she said, hey, just so you know, I'm doing this event. I was wondering if you want to work it. I'm like, work it. He goes, yeah, because Muhammad Ali's coming to see the movie at this charity event. And, and I was absolutely went, yes. And, but then I had that feeling of going, I don't want to sneak into a party to pretend I'm working like, like serving table five, just so I can meet them. (laughs) And I, so I just, I went back and said, this is not how I want it to happen. And she asked to borrow a heavy bag of mine so she can decorate it. And I said, here's the heavy bag, but I think it's best that I don't like charge it on this $5,000, a plate like dinner, just to meet Muhammad Ali that way. She goes, no, no, no. Your job is to look after them to make sure no one crowds them. Yeah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I spent the night just basically hanging out with Muhammad Ali. And then I had this, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going on into this because it's my most prized thing. So, yeah, man. so I'm standing there while people are, like I'm letting people in to get their picture taken with them because it's a $5,000 play charity dinner. People take a picture, they say thank. By the time the third person kind of went in, I just started crying i was like muhammad ali's right there and i'm like i can't believe this is happening and i'm tearing up i'm crying and the person that i was teaching boxing to rory looked at me and she she goes with a smile on her face she just kind of went get your shit together get your shit together right now and his wife uh came over lonnie came over to me go do you want to do you want to have a picture with muhammad i went i would love to have a picture with muhammad so I sat there, had put my arm around the man, he put his fist on my face and got a picture with Muhammad Ali. Oh, that's great for wow. That's awesome, man. I see
2: why that is the most prized possession for sure.
3: Yeah, definitely. Qu- question six.
2: Dorian, if you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical, service and experience, it's currently for sale. What would that be? Oh,
0: man, I'd, my ultimate thing is to get to the point where I can take my greater group of friends on vacations and to places around the world as a group. I've never had better experiences in my life than traveling abroad with good friends. And especially if you can get, you know, four, six, ten people together and going to these places that you know that the that they're probably not going to get to on their own. And I've done that a few times in smaller groups, you know, four to six people, but I'd love to be able to, you know, pay for the jet you know, 24 people hop on and we just go on a a tour of a few places, Southeast Asia, you know, you know, head down to Australia and see these things that are unattainable for the majority of people. I mean, that's the happiest times
3: of my life. I'm doubling up on that. I've never rented the jet. We'll get there though. Okay. We'll get, we'll get there, but I have to double up on that just because the best experiences that I've ever had were friends that I've gone on trips with that. You're just experiencing something together as a group of people and that that memory itself will yeah. be owned forever and yeah. when if you don't see them for 20 years and then you see them it's like yesterday and i've had numerous amounts of times where i had that and just been so thankful that we were on these trips together and those are good ones those they, those they, are the ones. they imprint on
0: your brain you never yeah. forget them i worked in rwanda for i had a plantation in rwanda for uh, six years I'd commute back and forth in Vancouver. And I'd every now and then I'd take one of my friends with me. Somebody really wanted to go. And those times in Rwanda when I could show that that area to those people is this burned on my brain. Burned on my brain.
2: Or hmm.
3: yes. Vegas, but we don't talk about Vegas. Right, right. We agreed not
2: to. What do you got in your mind? What do you got your eye on, Alex? That was mine. That was exactly, same. It's, it's exactly oh, the, it's same the same. Oh, it's the same. Okay. Okay.
3: I, I'm honestly, relationships and friendships that you can share something really special with. That, I'll take it that, then. That to me is the best kind of memory and best the best thing that I would love to do again and keep on doing. In return, it, I got it. And it literally snuck up on me when I it was a group <laughs> of us going for a wedding and we just kind of had this thing and we literally every time these pictures come up or we see the people we haven't seen in 10 years those memories are just there and it's like no time has passed i love those times yeah yeah,
4: yeah totally i mean you know jeff and i have had many many of those adventures yeah. over the years sure. i can totally yeah. relate and then uh yeah ethan jeff and i have had quite a few already in just our That's first true. year building this company and creating in this space That's
2: great. It's well, Let's shift gears a little bit, guys. Question seven. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would that be? Dorian, we'll start with you.
0: It might not be, I guess it's a personality trait, my endless desire to learn. I always want to learn about something new. I want to dive into it, figure it out, how it works. And maybe it interests me, maybe it doesn't. If it interests me, then I'll continue to learn more as time passes. If it doesn't interest me, I figured out how to do it. Like I went and got my pilot's license just because I wanted to learn about it. I wanted to see how it all went down, stuff like that.
3: My endless desire to learn.
2: Nice.
3: I love a, it. That's a good one. For me, it's, I think my personality trait of just joy to be able to do the work that I do. And I, I don't even consider it work and spreading joy along in a set. I just feel like that kind of stuff just opens up the creativity and makes it not only a fun place to work at, but the funnel of creativity, especially for an actor when you're sitting there and that people are tense and everything's happening and you just don't want to screw up. You don't want to be the guy that screws up and loses time. So just say my lines. But once you Throw that joy around and giving them the ownership of the space that we're all having fun, that creativity just goes wide and you're getting better content and better performances and they end up going, I don't even want to leave the set right now because I'm having so much fun. And I experienced that with some really great actors. That were running their own shows and leads of their own shows. And then I got the opportunity to do that. And it's exactly how I would wanna kind of spread that to the world. It's just the joy. Alex yeah. started yesterday, we we were on a
0: video cast podcast yesterday, a live stream on Twitch and on our Discord. And I was on microphone and our creative director, Nick Harborn, was on microphone sitting beside me. It was a video stream. Alex was moving into the stream. So he was taking over Nick's spot. And his joy at that moment was to roll in and and Body check him and tackle him (laughs) to the ground.
3: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) To make sure he knows it's my turn. (laughs) Nice. Nice. (laughs) Wait till I meet you guys. Wait till I, I get my hands on you guys. It's all, all joy. All right.
4: Uh, uh, Jeff's got some jujitsu up yeah. his sleeve. So, oh, check no. might be returned
3: by a sleeper
2: hold from Jeff. Oh, no, you're
3: going to put me out. It just depends
2: on how much jujitsu you know, I guess. It's <laughs> that's it, buddy. Well, let's flip that question on its head, guys. Question seven Dorian, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be?
0: Oh, that's good. So I know this about myself. Everybody knows it about me. I'm extremely direct to the point where it's unemotional sometimes. Mm. If someone asks for their opinion about something. I'm not very good at padding it, whether it's an outfit or whether it's a business plan. I always mm-hmm. say, man, if you're asking me, you just got to realize you're hitting a brick wall here pretty, pretty hard.
3: And so I wish I could soften that up. Understood. You know? Now I know what those directions were yesterday on set. Okay. Uh, the question is, can you
1: take take it as well as you dish it out? That's the question. Yeah, okay. You <laughs> can probably you? not.
2: <laughs> Alex, <laughs> how about you? What was the question again? If you could eliminate one of your
3: personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? I mean, it took me a while to get there. I've done a lot of, you know, like I love to learn. Dorian was saying he loves to learn. I love to learn especially learning about myself and how I could get better. But especially when I was younger, it was the fear of trying something to not look dumb. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I just would rather and it was one of those things where it felt like it handcuffed me and I needed to get vulnerable to real with myself and truthful with myself to go. And it was literally it's especially in auditions, you know, like Mm -hmm. in auditions, you want to take a chance. Do you read what's on the page or you do that? The idea that you want to do. And when you first start out, you go, I just want to not screw this up and look dumb. And then when you you get to literally, like for me, it was literally just saying, fuck it. Yeah. Like, just do the thing that you want to do and mm-hmm. give them the gift of your creativity as opposed to looking for a job. And that's when everything started changing for me when I started going in, in auditions, when I realized that. I would rather give the gift of what I can do and walk away from that, than put myself in a pigeonhole of trying to get a job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah, my totally. favorite,
1: one of my favorite inspirational moments as a musician. I play music as well. Oh, what do you um, play? I play piano mostly.
3: Yeah, jazz I just play specifically. Bass. Yeah, I just play bass. You're
1: the smart. <laughs> But there's the, I think it's in a movie, but it's a scene that has such a visual aspect to it. I always remember it. They say when Charlie Parker first got up, got up on stage to get in a jam session, he played so horribly that the drummer took off his cymbal and threw it at his
0: head to get him <laughs>
1: off the stage. You know, and I think, but those kind of moments are always so inspirational, right? When you see like everybody had to start at that humble place, you know? And so it's actually really more about the sooner you get through it,
3: right? That's the thing, right? There's a lot of guys that can't get through that or don't have the courage enough to get through it, to get to the other side, to see the amazing things that you can do. That's a really good point because I think everybody has that in them. It's just, are you willing to walk through that wall to get to the other side? I think it comes a a
0: bit with age too. I felt the older that I've got, I get into that, fuck it. Yeah, lot, A lot easier now. I'm not so concerned about how someone's gonna perceive me in a situation where I may screw up now, whereas even 10 years ago, I, I definitely had that mini roadblock. And 20 years ago, it was a medium sized roadblock yeah. where I didn't want to look like the the dummy or the idiot. And also traveling for business internationally by myself all the time also taught me that don't care about looking dumb. Don't You, you have to go to the restaurant and eat, sit at the bar, do your meal, <laughs> read your book, right. look at your phone, whatever it is. And now I'm an expert in doing things on my own just because yeah. I've done so much international travel by myself. And I think everyone can get there, but age will help a lot. Yeah,
3: uh, yeah.
2: Well, a little bit easier. Let's move on to question number nine. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast, Dorian?
0: Well, you know, I came to the office, which is which is a new thing now. Our office is opening back up since COVID. Oh. But really, I spent the morning on calls with people who've invested money into
3: into the company. So pretty mundane. You guys already know. I was looking for my phone for four hours. Oh, they don't know. <laughs> yeah, they did. I told them when oh. you, uh, you took oh, off. I, I, I was looking for my phone four for hours. For four hours, I drove to my girlfriend's spot, and I thought she took it by accident. She didn't. Then I drove back home. Then I was like, should I come here? Then I was trying to find my iPhone watch so, so I could, could do, the, fine do line. the find my phone. Oh, you I could do it for your laptop net. too. And then I have a Google Dual. I didn't have my laptop. My laptop's here. And then I had <laughs> I had Google Dual, so I was like calling myself, but I realized. I was just calling me back like on my own Google Dual thing. And it was just getting so frustrated. And then finally found it in between the sheets and the black sock and with my black phone. So that's what I was doing. Thanks for bringing that up. (laughs) You're also being frustrated again.
4: Yeah. But I mean, you also filmed over 30 something hours of production in like less
3: than two days, right? And I was hoping to sleep in, but that didn't happen.
0: Not only was he executive producer. He sat and watched every scene of everyone else's. Plus, he had his own acting to do, his own lines, remembered
3: a good majority of his lines. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were, <laughs> you're a prick. That's a good dig, but I'm in the scene now. And I'm, now I'm an executive producer. I'm in the scene. We're literally in the scene. And I can say this because I'm not giving anything away, but I'm looking at the actor and there's nothing more you want to do, but to look at your actor right in the eyes and basically tell the truth and have those lines and you tell the truth. That's what you want to get across because the audience could see that. But I'm looking at her and then I notice behind her, I see Reebok on a jersey and I'm like, did we get Reebok cleared? I don't think we got Reebok cleared. Well, <laughs> she's telling me her lines and I'm missing all my cues because I'm going, we should, I should get the cassette designer to get the Reebok. Why is it? So my brain was just still in executive producer mode. So I learned quite a bit on when to let go and sit back. And, but we got the scene we finally got, got to the scene. scene. I did get, I'm not used to sitting in on these types of things, these,
0: uh, you know, movie and TV sets. And so I was sitting there watching the TV screen, monitor the monitor, and you're delivering your line and you're delivering your line. And one, the middle of your line, you're like, what's my line. And I thought, okay, was that on the script? Or? <laughs> and I know then, that was, but me. no, but get this, this is what really threw me for the loop. He then started again on it and said, what's my line at the exact same time as the last one. So now I'm thinking, well, that is the script.
3: <laughs> but he was actually just asking for his line. Oh my God. But he did it twice at the exact same spot. So now I'm like, kind of like a bit crazy. Can you throw me under the bus just a little bit more? Well, I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, great. <laughs> nice Let's catch. just say I got the line, yeah. finally. Uh, and I'm going to ask the a, question. It was a
0: great day. And uh, of everybody there, along with the director and the Kamani, DP. Kamani. Kamani. and the Andy, DP. Andy, Andy the DP. being the DP. Yeah. These three guys, along with Neil, and. The hours they put in to get this done super impressive. I goosebumps through many of the scenes, watch them
3: get done. You guys are going to be honest. I've been doing this for a while. You guys are going to be blown away what we did. That's awesome. I'm I'm putting money on it. I'm putting NFTs on it on you guys. All right, let's go.
2: (laughs) Guys, last question, fellas. What are you going to do next after the podcast?
3: Right after the podcast, I'm going to go to sleep. Wow. Good
0: call. Good Good commitment. I am moving, so I'm going home to pack.
3: Oh, there you go. Really
0: boring
2: Wow. Super boring. Yeah. All right. Good times, guys. We appreciate it. 10 questions, edge quick hitters in the books. What do you say we dive into a little hot topic action here before we
0: wrap for today? Oh man, that sounds let's, boring. Let's I know do it. it does. I right, have to say Alex looks like someone to have
1: on your side when you're moving. Hopefully you don't, don't get even, to pick don't up some don't boxes. me
3: into that. That's <laughs> what you it's got me on the it for you, man. Right Come after on. this, why don't you help me move my couch? So what? <laughs> that sleeping you wanted to do? Oh, you prick. <laughs> oh man. All right.
1: With almost $25 billion in sales in 2021, there's no denying the NFT market is on fire. But what many investors don't realize is demand has skyrocketed for another asset, thanks in part to this NFT boom. The asset I'm talking about is multi-million dollar blue chip art. And it's been so hot, a Banksy offering on the Masterworks platform recently sold for $7.4 million. And what's even more incredible is... All shares of this Banksy offering sold out in just three hours. According to Masterworks, similar works by Banksy saw a price appreciation of 19.9% from 2007 to 2020, outpacing the S&P 500 by nearly a factor of two over the same time period. And Masterworks investors recently saw a 32% annualized appreciation net of fees from the sale of another Banksy painting called Mona Lisa. To discover how to buy into similar offerings by Banksy, Picasso, and Monet for a fraction of the cost of the entire painting, visit edgeofnft.com masterworks. That's edgeofnft.com masterworks. For important disclosures, visit masterworks.io disclaimer. Yeah, let's hit the hot topics. First one, very interesting, intriguing. I've got some opinions about this. Elon Musk rumored to buy Board Ape NFT worth 569 Ethereum. He may have just joined the board API club. Musk had previously called out the Twitter management team on the rising number of bots and scammers related NFTs and cryptocurrencies. BAYC holders include names like Eminem, Jimmy Fallon, Stephen Curry, Mark Cuban, and many, many more. I'm just going to take, listen, I think this is one of those situations where there's at least a part of this where even though we said NFTs are a place where this might not happen as much where you get those people who are early into something and they've got this like pride of of ownership and it's their thing and then they lose it because it becomes popular and it becomes this sort of like popular culture thing. And then they feel disconnected from it because they were like the early adopter. At least with blockchain, you have a record that those people were early adopters and they can have that pride. But the last thing I'll say before I get other comments is, I did, and this was so interesting having an NFT podcast and seeing it from this side, inadvertently see the moment where Paris Hilton is on Jimmy Fallon and they do the Borde, you know Yacht Club reveal and stuff like that. And I have to say, it was kind of lame, to be honest. I don't know. It just felt a little too pop culture-y and a little bit too kind of not connected with at least the spirit of things that I see every day in NFTs. But I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts about this?
0: So I think that's MoonPay that's really you know driving that right because there was a photo of Musk meeting with the MoonPay guys the day before and we know that MoonPay has also bought them for uh, you know, Eminem or maybe some of the other people I believe so I think that's you know part of MoonPay's Moon marketing campaign really as far as these you know celebrities getting into NFTs I think I personally feel they're going about it the wrong way you know having them bought for them or buying into the very top or even you know I think someone was able to trace Justin Bieber's big purchase of his to actually a business partner of his who's trying to, was about to promote the, his own NFT drop. So he thought, oh, I'm going to buy Bieber this, and then Bieber, then it'll connect to my project, right? And so it's all a bit of a, you know, smoke and mirrors. You know, celebrities, sports icons, these big personal brands, they're coming into it with too much ego or low care level. And we're an NFT community. We look out for each other. You see these cash grabs these people try to do. Johnny Depp's NFT drop from last week or the last couple of weeks, I think it was like, what, 0.6 Ethereum, only got to 21% minted before they pulled the plug. You know, that is because it's the antithesis of what the NFT community is about. That's why I'm stoked to work with Alex on this project, because we're trying to bring the fans along with us. We're trying to make the fans part of the project. And these things that you brought up, I don't feel that they're in the same vein. I feel that they're exploitive and they're looking to take from what all of us have built. That's how I feel personally.
3: Gosh, Jeff, got what do you got, Jeff? Who's Jeff? Right here. <laughs> Jeff, for a second,
1: that's why Alex remember. thought. Yeah, I Alex thought I was calling him. Jeff, he's like, I'm going. It's all right. We got <laughs> nappy, <laughs> nappy time
2: is coming up. Alex, you're, you're <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm almost there. I'm buddy. I'm almost there. <laughs> Home stretch. Look, man. I, generally speaking, like Elon Musk stuff, I think is all about promotion for his various companies and, and himself. You know, he knows that basically the old adage that you know, any publicity is good publicity. And so he likes to mess with people, I think. And so whether he's buying something or not, I don't know whether he's talking about it. I think he has fun with it, man. Like, you know, all of the stuff with with Doge and, you know, getting people riled up and whatnot. He has fun with it. It's his personality. He's done it consistently over time. You know, I don't take any of that like too seriously, really, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, I think of the people that seem, you know, unique to do something interesting in an NFT is that our celebrities, it's Elon Musk. It's interesting the the sort of Doge, you know, aspect of it. I guess there's the connection, personal connection with it, but he does seem more of like an underdog kind of rooter than uh, sort of jumping on board when something's already hip and popular. So anything to say, Josh, or should we hit the next one or, or Alex, anything?
3: No, I'm good. Okay, cool. Right, you, next just, uh, you just
1: gave a little preview to the underdoge coin, right? <laughs> Doge. <Underdoge. That's laughs> there next. you go. Forget Super Doge. No, don't forget Super Doge. Under Doge. <laughs> All right, Microsoft's Minecraft goes Web3 with NFT Worlds on Polygon, sandbox-style video game Minecraft released back in 2011 is getting a Web3 update thanks to a few developers unaffiliated with Microsoft. NFT Worlds is a project built on the third-party Minecraft servers with a Polygon-based overlay. Probably for those who need an update, Polygon is an Ethereum sidechain which offers lower gas fees. And since Microsoft bought Minecraft's developer Mojang Studios for a whopping $2.5 billion in 2014, the player base has grown. The game had 131 million monthly active users in 2020 and over 141 million monthly active users in 2021. So, yeah, I mean, I think this thing's bound to happen, right? Bound to happen.
2: Yeah, man, I think, you know, there's like been such a, an interesting like divide between like traditional gamers, right? And then folks that are, you know, Web3 metaverse centric or into metaverse gaming, you know, it's this interesting thing. I didn't really foresee that, you know, when NFTs kind of started to hit at the end of 2020 and everything, it was a, it was a weird thing. It was like this weird conflict that arose and I don't really get it. Cause like gamers, like traditionally they're so Like really ahead of their time, like so many that have been around for so long and making money off gaming, doing like cool things in gaming, it just made sense that they would come along with it, but there's just been this like weird conflict. So, I mean, it's interesting to see one that's a, you know, traditional non-metaverse game and then folks taking that and and wrapping that into the metaverse web three, you know, world. So I think it's interesting. And it just reminds me of of this divide that's still kind of out there and it's good to see something that's uh, bridging that in some form or fashion.
1: Yeah, for sure. And Polygon is, has been slowly and rapidly in various ways becoming this sort of go-to chain for like high transaction volume gaming stuff. It's really been powerful to see their kind of rise into that space.
4: I think there's a subtle message there too, you know, for the gaming world, which is look out if you don't join the party, the party is going to start without you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's no question the the... There's been a few games that have announced they were to like move towards NFTs, right? And they got big pushback from the community and they actually ended up stopping it, I believe. The NFT Worlds one, though, threw me for a loop because those minted for free, right? And just for gas. And now they're what? I saw them trading at 18 Ethereum at one point or something like that. And I still, I went searching and I, I gave up, but I was trying to figure out if they actually have ever received any type of permission from Microsoft. I couldn't find any. And so, I remember when they were like around 0.25 or 0.5 Ethereum, I thought, oh, maybe I'll buy a couple of these just in case they take off. And I didn't because I just entirely envisioned a DMCA coming inbound to them, right? Because they were literally all just their maps. Like they, they actually wrote how they were using them under a creative license. They didn't even develop new maps. So I thought they would get taken down. Now, maybe since then they have formed a partnership. I have no idea, but you guys know? No, it was saying they still hadn't gotten Microsoft's
2: permission, I think, in that article. So I'm I'm guessing that's still the
0: case. Imagine buying that for 15 or 18 or 20 Ethereum or something and getting rugged by Microsoft. I mean, it's a total possibility, right? Totally. Yeah.
3: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, we, we, Alex, seen,
0: that's alex's opinion
1: uh, yeah we, we've seen interesting stuff like this happen with you know like quentin tarantino's nft projects and stuff like that where oh yeah right his, yeah, his, really his,
0: something... his studio did a dmca on him right
3: mm-hmm. this is just me asking because i heard he was doing a nft drop of two deleted scenes from yeah, he did and he did yeah, yeah okay did so that, that was a real thing because people were saying it was people were just talking about it but he actually did Yeah, and then he got sued or DMCA'd. I don't know, one of the two. Why? Because it wasn't his film anymore? Yeah, it wasn't his film. Got it, got it.
1: Yeah, we've gotten to talk to people behind that project at Secret Network um, on a few aspects. You know, they could share a lot more before there was a legal case. (laughs) I was kind of couldn't talk about certain things when the legal case was going, but, you know, it was a matter of him sharing, really not necessarily the film itself, but kind of his private sort of background stuff around it. You know, script notes, you know and the interesting thing about it is they were secret nfts so you didn't know what they were unless you purchased them and that was kind of the comment when i interviewed tor from secret network about that He was saying well this is kind of interesting you know the studio is suing him over content that they don't actually even know what it is right so, no,
3: it so has something it to sense? do with does it have no matter what it is for the film that they own the film or do they they own every aspect of the film, like almost like script notes that he would have done, but never made it into the film. Yeah. How do they own that? I think that's
2: where we were talking, like Dorian was talking earlier. Some of the stuff just has to be challenged, right? And right. a legal precedent has to be established. And so, right. but you know, it's just who, who wants to go through that, right? Nobody wants to spend a bunch of that's money. Not gonna time, of course. Notice, maybe
0: somebody should do some web three TV shows or, oh, <laughs> there you go. You know anybody? We, Cut out I the middle like, yeah. hey, that's <laughs> <what> We're <laughs> nice cool. All right, here's our, here's our scripts right here. Hey, and we'll NFT that, and it up.
2: <laughs> there it is. There it is nice. <laughs> if
0: nice. we can just All do right. that because it's you know Web three. There right. you go. Not, we have a DMCA, DMCA ourselves, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Hey Ethan, I heard we got a, a shout yeah. out for. Let's do something. Let's awesome try followers. something fun for our listener shout out today. Okay. I guess I'll sort of preview what it is before we do it. This comes to us from a discord member known as ladies and gents. I'll give you a little bit of background. He's an animator and he's worked on Disney classics, like the lion King and beauty and the beast. And what he's done is we gave him a little bit of a tip on the episode said, you guys were coming on and he wanted to create a sketch. Sorry, Dorian. There weren't a lot of photos on mine for him to go from. So we got a cool sketch of Alex and he's titled this sketch. What did he say? Okay, let me read this. He says, Alex reminds him of Mr. Incredible and is a big fan of his positive attitude. He named this piece, which we'll share in a moment after one of Alex's quotes, all defeats are temporary, which is very appropriate, I think, for some of the context that we have on the show today. So here's how I'm going to try to do it. If it doesn't work the first way, we'll have another way, okay, just so everybody so can everybody can see what's going on. So I'm going to spotlight me first, and then I'll spotlight yours, and it should kind of put us sort of side by side. And I think I set up so my profile pick is this sketch so that we can see everything together. If not, I'll do another way to share it. So I'll actually turn off my camera and we'll get a little bit of a reaction if we can from Alex. If that doesn't work, we'll do the other way. (laughs) All right. So here we go.
3: Oh, (laughs) shit. (laughs) What?
1: Come on.
3: Not bad. That is sick. (laughs) That's awesome.
1: (laughs) Very cool. Oh,
3: man. Thanks for doing that. They, that, like, that's awesome! I love well, that.
1: Very cool. Well, so here's what's going to happen, ladies and gents: is going <laughs> awesome. to mint that as an NFT if he hasn't already, and you know, you give us your your wallet address, and he'll make the transfer for, for free as a gift to you. So you'll Man. have an NFT sketch version of yourself as a commemoration of of this uh, experience <laughs> oh, on edge of NFT. That's absolutely amazing! That that's <laughs> awesome. Who was it again? So he's known by ladies and gents on the Discord. I don't think he's going to mind if I share his name. And his name is Tom LaBath. Tom LaBath,
3: you rock, man. This is awesome, man. I absolutely love this. I absolutely love this. So yes, drop it in my soon-to-be wallet. (laughs) That is sick, man. Thank you so much. For All right. <laughs> awesome.
4: You know, you can send someone some ETH or you can send someone a picture of themselves. Whatever it takes to build those bridges, right? Yeah, <laughs>
3: absolutely. I just think anybody taking the time to do something like that and make an image of myself, I'm just always blown away because it takes time and talent. And it's awesome. It's awesome. I'm very flattered and it's fucking awesome, man. Very <laughs> <There you> cool. <go. laughs>
2: Great way to end the episode, guys. Great way. Awesome. Really awesome. Amazing time spending this day with you here today, this afternoon. Wanted to let our listeners know, guys, where can they go to follow you and all the fun stuff that you're working on? So much cool things to do.
0: Yeah. So for the corporate parent company, uh, looking at last labs, you can go to lgl.io. For House of Kiba, go to houseofkiba.com. Kiba with two A's, K-I-B-A. And for okay. Gen Zeros,
3: the series, genzeros.com. My Instagram, my Twitter is Alex Pawn. A L E K S P A U N. Twitter and Instagram and a Facebook fan page, and yeah, that's that.
2: That's how to do it. Beautiful. All right. So guys, check them out there. Also, keep an eye out on our socials for details on a giveaway that we have coming up. Five Gen Zeros NFTs. Keep an eye out for that. Really sick giveaway. Thank you so much for offering that. We really appreciate it. All kinds of fun stuff that we'll be asking you to do to get involved with that giveaway. So keep an eye out again on our socials for that. All right, fellas. I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. Al, go to iTunes or Spotify right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. And remember, we always invite you to co-create and build with us at Edge of NFT. We're unlocking a whole new way to connect and collaborate with us through our own NFT drops. Spirit seeds leading to living tree NFTs, which will light the way to our event NFTLA a -a one-of-a-kind immersive and unforgettable experience at LA Live in Los Angeles, March 28th to the 31st. Check it out at nftla.live and move quickly on early bird tickets as they are selling fast. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. Thanks, boys. Thank you so much. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. We understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.